And today we begin a brand new series at both of our campuses, and we're titling it Home on the Rock. And I realized it had been several years since we had done a series on family relationships, and I just sense that it's, it's time. And maybe if you hear that, your initial reaction is to think that perhaps this series isn't for you, maybe because you're single or because uh, you don't have kids. But I hope that you'll change your mind about that if that's uh, what you're thinking. This series is broader than that, and uh, you're going to see that in a few moments. Plus, while you may not be a parent, certainly we all have parents, right? And while you may not be married, certainly you have friends who are married or family members who are married, and you have relationships, you interact with them. Plus, we're also going to talk about our work life and relationships at work next weekend over Labor Day weekend and and that whole aspect. So I'm fairly certain there are going to be points of application for everybody in the room. But where I want to begin things might surprise you a little bit. I'm going to start by addressing the topic of forgiveness today. Say forgiveness. Forgiveness. It's a good word, isn't it? And specifically this, the need for all of us who name the name of Christ to hear and to heed Christ's call for us to forgive family members, family members who have hurt us, who have wounded us. I I think we would all agree it's difficult to make much progress towards unity in our families or to feel much joy when we're together if our hearts are always angry towards them or, or on guard towards them or, or even shut down altogether, and we all know that can happen, right? You know, self-protection, self-protection is a natural reflex that kicks in whenever we get hurt, whenever we get wounded by somebody. We know this, right? We construct a kind of fortress around our hearts to protect us, to create some emotional distance in hopes of never being hurt again. It's this coping mechanism that we have all employed at one time or another. The pain of being wounded by family or by close friends is just so deep that we often make a vow, a silent vow in our hearts that we will never allow ourselves to be hurt like that again, and so the fortress goes up. But this closing off of our hearts affects the relationship, doesn't it? It shuts down affection for that person. Our our communicating with them can often become kind of short and clipped or have an edge to it or be dripping with sarcasm or be non-existent. Maybe the only emotions you feel towards that person, if you feel anything at all, are resentment and anger and desire for revenge, maybe even hatred. Even if you do desire to get close to them again, that self-protection instinct tends to keep them at arm's length. Can anybody relate to what I'm talking about? Anybody? (laughs) Just check your gut feelings when you think about your dad, perhaps. The dad who was never there. Or your mom who was always harsh and controlling. Or your son or your daughter who cut your heart open with their jagged-edged words. Some of you have been alienated from a sibling for years. Certainly our spouses can wound us. We all have these tender spots, don't we? 
in our hearts and even scars from hurtful things that have occurred. Well, you probably know this, that in the mercy of God, He has provided us with two graces, I like to call them, two heart-healing graces for dealing with sin. For our own sins that we've committed, He gives us the grace of repentance, right? Repentance. And for the sins that have been committed against us by other people, the grace of forgiveness. Forgiveness. While we all believe that forgiveness is a noble idea that people, generally speaking, should practice, for ourselves, we can too easily write it off or dismiss it by saying, well, it's just too late for that. Too much water has gone under the bridge for that. Or I'll forgive them when they come groveling on their knees asking for forgiveness. (laughs) We take comfort in that notion that maybe they don't really deserve to be forgiven anyway. Well, the work that I long to see God do among us today is just that. It is a work of God. A work of God in us that, that will free up our hearts to truly forgive and especially forgive family. No amount of human effort can accomplish what I believe God wants to do today. It is a divine work of God, of His grace, and it involves at least two things. Opening our eyes to see things as He sees them and melting our hearts so that we love like He loves. Opening our eyes and melting our hearts, these are works of God. He's got to do it, or it won't happen. And so I've been praying that God will do just such a work as this. So let's dive in. If you haven't pulled the study guide out yet from your worship folder, do that so you can track with me. And I would say this, first, it is imperative that each of us realizes that our Lord Jesus does indeed call His people to be people who are inclined to forgive the wrongs that have been done to us. Let's note first the call to forgive. On one occasion, it says this in Matthew 18, verse 21, Then Peter came up and said to him, that's Jesus, Lord, he knew who he was talking to, Lord, how often will my brother, that's a family relationship, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times, and he thought he was being magnanimous because the standard in that day was three times. You were thought to be a really forgiving person if you forgave someone three times. So he's like, seven? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times seven. How does that statement strike you? What's your first reaction? Is it something like, seriously? 490 times I'm supposed to forgive someone? That is impossible. I mean, if my brother or my dad or my son or daughter sins against me 490 times, they're the one with the problem. (laughs) I need to get them out of my life or put as much distance between us as possible. It certainly seems like Jesus is calling us to do the impossible here. Another occasion recorded in Luke 17, verse 3, he said this, Pay attention to yourselves 
If your brother sins, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. And again, to our ears, this sounds crazy. This sounds impossible, even kind of absurd, doesn't it? Note that in that first instance, there doesn't appear to be any repentance on the brother's part. And here in the second instance, there are words of repentance. Hey, I'm, I'm really sorry I hurt you again for the seventh time today. But those words sound hollow, don't they? Because he kept doing it. But regardless of whether the family member repents or not, Jesus calls me to forgive again and again and again and again and again. That would seem to require supernatural ability, wouldn't you agree? Jesus' disciples thought so. Look at their response in that passage, verse 5 of Luke 17. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. (laughs) And the Lord said, if you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, a very tiny seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, apparently they were walking along a path and there's a tree there. You could say to this tree, be uprooted and planted into the sea and it would obey you. What's he saying? He's saying this, it takes faith to forgive. It takes faith in God to be able to forgive. It takes faith to forgive. Would you say that with me? It takes faith to forgive. Now, not a lot of faith, apparently. Jesus said even just a little faith, mustard seed-sized faith, but placed in the right person can empower you to forgive your family member, even for repeated offenses, regardless of whether they ever apologize to you or not. Now, Jesus' reference here to uprooting a mulberry tree is really just a metaphor for performing a supernatural feat. (laughs) Human ability alone could never succeed in yanking a tree out of the ground like that. It would take superhuman strength. It would take the power of God. I believe in this context, I think we could view that tree as the the sin or the offense that's blocking the relationship. It's standing right there in the way. Jesus was saying that only faith in God can supply sufficient strength to remove that obstacle and clear the path to being restored to a close relationship with that person. And he said you don't need a ton of faith, just a little, but placed in the right person. You've probably heard the old saying, it's not the size of your faith, it's the size of your God that makes the difference. And that's a true statement. Now look, it does me no good to try and water down Jesus' words here. I know some of us kind of enjoy holding on to grudges. You know how this works. Bitterness can become kind of a friend, right? A life's companion. And when you think about giving that up, you're thinking, well, what would my life be like if I couldn't get up every morning and be angry at them? (laughs) I take too much pleasure in imagining them suffering and paying. How could I give that up? If, If I let go of that, my life might feel empty and meaningless. I remember years ago, 
I was sitting in my uh, downstairs office in my home, and my little five-year-old, my youngest son, who I think was five at the time, walks right into my office, looks at me, and he says, if you keep holding on to your anger, your anger will keep holding on to you, and walked out of the room. I'm like, but you know what? The Lord knew those were exactly the words I needed to hear in that moment because I was stewing about something, and not only was I holding on to that anger, but it was gripping my heart. Now, later on, my wife told me that came from a VeggieTales episode that he had watched, but, but that doesn't matter. God used it to speak to my heart. If you keep holding on to your anger, your anger will keep holding on to you. And our Lord calls us to let go of the anger, right? To uproot that blockage and cast it away so that we can be restored. He's calling you today, yes, you, to forgive that family member who hurt you. And he said it'll take just a little bit of faith in a big God for that to happen. And if you feel you don't even have that much faith, maybe you should whisper the disciples' prayer here, Oh Lord, increase my faith. Give me faith to forgive. We'll talk in a few moments about exactly what we need to have faith in in order to move that tree and clear the way. But first, let's see more clearly the evidences or the signs of an unforgiving spirit. How do I know if I'm a candidate for this? We find in the writings of Paul in the book of Ephesians... Uh, these very incisive verses where he wrote this. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. As God in Christ forgave you. You know, I think about the times in my own life that I've been hurt by somebody and I was holding on to resentment and nursing that grudge against them. If I'm honest, these things listed here are the very things that I discovered in my own heart, like bitterness. Bitterness, what is that? Well, it's resentment, isn't it? It's resentment. You resent that person who hurts you. You just can't stand the thought of seeing them receive praise that just grates on you. You can't bring yourself to be happy for their success or to be joyful when they're doing well. In fact, you secretly long for their failure. You might even have cursed them, pronounced a curse upon them. The only prayers you want to pray for them are, Lord, judge them. Lord, bring misery into their life. Make them pay for what they did to me. It's been said that bitterness is like an acid. An acid that corrodes the container that it's stored in. And it's true. Prolonged resentment that's not dealt with will eat away at your very life, at your life. Far more than the one you're spewing it at. Bitterness, evidence of an unforgiving spirit. Also, these other things, wrath and anger, we know these are strong emotional responses towards the offender that seeks their pain, right? 
born out of our own hurt and our own woundedness, angry. Clamor refers to loud, angry outbursts meant to hurt them or silence them or overpower the person who hurt you. And we know that certain personalities are especially prone to these volcanic eruptions. Other personalities turn it inward more and sulk and withdraw. And then he says, put away slander. And now we're talking about words. Words that are being used now like daggers, right? This is doing damage with your mouth or your pen or keystrokes on Facebook or Twitter and such. Some translations translated evil speaking. Maybe it's biting sarcasm or sideswiping comments as you walk out of the room. Or maybe it's running them down to other people as you try to gain allies in your cause against them. Slander. And then he says, put away malice. Malice. And that's a heart thing, right? Words come from somewhere. They originate. They have a source. And this is the, this is the, the heart, the evil intent of the heart to, to strike back, to punish them and penalize them for hurting you, to get even, to take revenge, to make them pay by having to feel some of the same pain that they inflicted upon you. So listen, if, if this is where you've been, in your life, this, towards your husband, towards your wife, towards a son or a daughter who, who hurt you deeply, towards a dad or a mom or a, an aunt or an uncle or a cousin or some other family member, if that's where you've been, admit it. This is not a good place to be. Bitterness, anger, wrath, clamor, slander, malice. It's not a good place to be, is it? Paul had to tell these people who had this heart condition, he had to tell them to be kind and to be tender-hearted because unkindness had seeped in, hard-heartedness had crept in, and it was ugly. Let's talk about the consequences of holding on to a grudge, of continuing to hold on to it and nurse it along. And we know this, right? We know that studies have been done, research has consistently shown that prolonged resentment does incalculable damage to a person. Emotionally, physiologically, mentally, psychologically, relationally, and certainly spiritually. Note that Paul said holding on to these things grieves the Holy Spirit. So God is grieved. By your unforgiving spirit, no wonder he feels so far away. We often find ourselves plagued with these nagging feelings of guilt and condemnation because we know we should probably forgive the person, but we just can't find it in our hearts to do it. So it eats away at us. Bitterness that's not dealt with saps our vitality and distances us from God and from others. We know this, right? We know this in our heads. Jesus once told an interesting story that describes the kind of inner torture that God himself sometimes inflicts on those who stubbornly refuse to forgive. It's found in Matthew 18, and it'll be familiar to some of you, but I'd like to read it. 
because it has a very important lesson. Jesus said this, Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. And when he began to settle, one of them was brought into him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now note that, we'll come back to it. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had in payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me, I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, remember that, and seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me, this should have sounded familiar to him, and I will pay you. Those same words came out of his own mouth just moments earlier, but he refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. Well, when his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. And then Jesus' commentary on this, verse 35, So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Unforgiveness is unforgivable, is what he was saying. It's interesting that in some translations that word jailers, deliver you to the jailers, is rendered torturers. Tortures. I believe there is a kind of inner torture that God will bring upon those who stubbornly refuse to forgive other people when they themselves have been forgiven so much by God. And you know, when you think about it, that could explain some things that are going on in your life, perhaps. It might explain why some of you feel chronically depressed. Now, not all depression is linked to unforgiveness, but certainly some is. It could explain why some of you seem to have soured on life, why you lack motivation, why all you feel like doing is sitting around all day and binging on movies. It could explain why God seems so far from you, even though you've tried to reach out to Him. It might explain why you struggle in relationships so much. Perhaps the reason for these things in your life is that God has delivered you over to the torturers for a season because you refuse to forgive that person who hurt you. Really, it's an act of God's mercy to get your attention, to wake you up. Oh, how God longs to release you from the prison of bitterness of your own making. He longs to. So let's look at how that can happen. Let's look at the power of faith. We saw earlier that Jesus said the key to forgiveness is faith. It takes faith to forgive. I mean, we understand that he meant faith in who? Faith in God, right? Drawing not on our own resources, 
but upon God's supernatural strength to uproot that blockage and remove it and clear the way again. But I'm convinced there's more to this. For those of us who really do sense God's call to forgive someone today by faith and who believe that that power to do so has to come from God, Almighty God, I've come to understand there are at least three, we'll call them faith responses, that need to follow that initial choice to trust God for this. These are the channels, the conduits through which God supplies that strength that power to forgive. These are the first steps towards exercising that mustard seed faith in God. So you ready? Three things, I'll explain them. There's a proportion to accept by faith. There's a perspective to acquire by faith. And there's a person to adore by faith. I'm convinced that sincerely taking these faith steps will have the effect of melting away, dissolving the bitterness that is in our hearts towards that person and infusing our hearts with a fresh supply of God's power to forgive them. Maybe instantaneously like that or maybe as a gradual process over time, but the power of God to forgive will come. It will be yours. So let's talk first about what, what this means, a proportion to accept by faith. In that parable, in that story, Jesus alluded to a ratio. Did you catch it? A proportion. And you math people are like, yes, I love it when Jesus did math. <laughs> the one servant, it says, owed his master a debt of 10,000 talents, while another fellow owed him 100 denarii. So there's a ratio there, and it's important. It's really the actual point of the story. So let's convert these terms to their modern equivalents, okay? 10,000 talents in our currency is roughly $6 billion with a B. That's a sizable debt to have called in one day. Hey, you owe me $6 billion pay up uh, today. It's due today. No wonder the distressed servant pleaded for mercy, right? And amazingly, the master took pity on him and erased the debt completely with the stroke of a pen. Wrote it off. You're free. You don't have to pay it back. Six billion dollars. I mean, even the lottery winner this week couldn't have barely made a dent in that kind of a, a debt. But then that fellow who'd just been forgiven this gargantuan debt goes out and instead of following suit, he decides to demand immediate and full repayment of the hundred denarii loan that he had made to a needy co-worker. No pity there. So how much was that loan in modern currency? Well, it's about $20,000. That's not nothing, right? But compared to the massive loan that he had just been forgiven, really in comparison, not much. Six billion, 20 grand. And that's the point. So when we do the math and we calculate the ratio between these two loans, it comes out to 500,000 to one. Half a million to one. For every one dollar 
his co-worker owed him, he had owed his master half a million bucks for every one dollar. That ratio is crucial to understand. What was Jesus trying to get across here? Just this. My sins against a holy God are like the six billion dollar debt, right? And my brother's sin against me is like the $20,000 debt, what I owed a holy God for all my sinning against him was a half a million times greater, more serious, more grievous than my family member's sin against me. And you hear that and I ask you, do you believe that? Or in your head, are those ratios reversed? I wonder how many of you find no power to forgive that person, no desire even to forgive them because you see their sin against you as 500,000 times greater than your sins against God. Like what they did to hurt you is far worse than what you've done in your life to hurt and grieve God. If that's your view, then then you don't grasp the enormity of what God had to do, the cost he had to pay to clean your slate and wipe out your debt. But if you could believe that, if you could have the faith to believe what Jesus believed about this, it would change everything, including your willingness to release that family member from their relatively small debt that you feel they owe you. This is why faith is required to forgive, faith to accept this half a million to one ratio. You see, when we truly understand and believe the gospel, friends, it right-sizes things. It frees up our hearts towards other people. I read about a pastor ministering in that state up north who, uh, a few years back, had his home broken into by an intruder who then stabbed the pastor 37 times. The pastor was so carved up that he basically had to hold his insides in place as he crawled over to the neighbor's house trying to seek out some help. When the police arrived, they they couldn't even tell what gender he was because he was so messed up, so bloodied up. Well, the attacker was eventually caught and charged, and the pastor realized that he was in a position through his testimony in the courtroom to have that guy put away forever. But he felt a strange inclination arising in his heart, a desire not to make the guy pay, but but to actually release him, to forgive him. When someone heard about it and thought that was strange and asked why this was so, here's what the pastor said. He said, I have been forgiven by God for so many things that I've done to him in my life. I want to extend the same grace to my attacker. Instead of being consumed by resentment, consumed by bitterness, this man ended up forgiving that guy for brutally attacking him And he did it from his heart, and the attacker did end up receiving a reduced sentence, and uh, the pastor actually started to visit him in prison, and basically blew his mind by showing him 
the outrageous love and mercy of Jesus. You see, the Bible calls us to forgive those who have hurt us, not on the basis of how sincere they are in saying, I'm sorry, not because of how much they deserve it, but we are called to forgive others on the basis of God's amazing grace to us in forgiving our many grievous sins against Him. His mind-blowing forgiveness of our own $6 billion debt of sin that we owe to God. You know, we ought to stop every now and then and just remember that what we deserve, really, for how we've treated God as human beings is to burn in hell forever to repay God what we owe Him. That's the message of the Bible. But instead, God brings the gospel to us, and when we believe it, he wipes our slate totally clean? Friends, that's the ground, that's the basis, that's the impulse for forgiving your brother. We call it grace-fueled forgiveness, right? Gospel-fueled, faith-activated forgiveness, and it's powerful when it's at work in us. So there's this Half a million to one proportion to accept by faith that activates God's forgiving power in our own lives. And I ask again, do you have the faith to believe that? There's another faith response that fuels our forgiveness even more. This one comes from the story of a man who forgave some family members, 11 brothers to be exact, for their brutal attack and abandoning of him, and I'm talking about who? Joseph from the Old Testament. Joseph's story shows us that there's also a perspective, a set of lenses that we need to acquire if we're ever going to forgive those family members who wrong us. It's a unique challenge to forgive family, isn't it? Kinfolk, (laughs) relatives, Related by blood or by marriage, people you lived with, grew up with, shared experiences with, made memories with. You know, families come with a certain set of of expectations that are kind of built in, wouldn't you agree? And when those expectations are not met or somehow get shattered, the hurt runs deep, very deep. The challenge of forgiving family is huge, and that's the challenge that Joseph faced. You know the story. His family was large. His many brothers that he grew up with began to resent him because he was daddy's favorite, and he didn't help things. He had this streak of arrogance in him that just agitated his brothers to no end, and finally one day they just had enough of him. Their bitterness boiled over, and They ended up selling their brother into slavery. Then they faked his death so they'd have a story to tell to their dad to cover their tracks and cover up the horrible deed they'd committed. This was a huge betrayal, right? In this family, and and none of their lives would ever be the same. But fast forward a couple of decades to a scene where we find a now grown-up Joseph in the same room with those same brothers who had betrayed him 
together for the first time since the great betrayal. Must have been kind of awkward, I'm thinking. Now he was a ruler in the land of Egypt and he possessed great political power. But there in that room that day, it became evident that he also possessed another kind of power. An inner strength, the power to forgive. And where did it come from? After such a horrific betrayal, I believe it arose from the unique perspective that his faith in a sovereign God gave him. Listen to what he told his brothers who in the moment didn't yet recognize him for who he was. Genesis 45 verse 4, so Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me please. And they came near. And he said, I'm your brother, I'm Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. I imagine their faces fell in that moment. But he said this, and now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. What? For the famine has been in the land these two years. There are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. It's going to go on for another five years. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on the earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he just kind of caps it off in verse 20 of Genesis 50. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. There it is. The perspective that unlocks more of God's power to forgive. In essence, he was saying, yes, you hurt me, and you meant to hurt me, and that's evil, and God didn't stop it, even though he could have. He let it happen, but I see now that he did so for a purpose to accomplish a greater good. And so, with that perspective, Joseph said, I don't hold it against you any longer. I forgive you. And his actions from then on demonstrated that he did. Let me ask, how big is God? He is big enough. Big enough to be working in a thousand different ways to bring good out of the worst kind of evil. Do you believe that? Big enough to change how we view the things that happen to us, how we see them, our perspective on those hurtful episodes. So that we can actually forgive that person who did us wrong and release them from that debt because we've been given different lenses to see through. We see that God was working all along, yes, even through their evil to accomplish his good for us. You know what? Without having that perspective, you might never forgive that person. If you don't acquire that perspective, those set of lenses... And so I ask, do you have faith that God is big enough to bring good even out of that evil that was done to you? It takes faith, not a lot, just even a little bit of faith, but in a big, big God. When I found myself in that place of nursing resentment towards someone and knowing in my heart I needed to forgive them, this perspective right here has been so valuable to me. Father, you, you didn't stop them from doing it. 
but I'm trusting you. I've got faith that you had good reasons for allowing it to happen. And so I'm looking. I'm looking for the good that's going to come out of this. I'm looking for it, God. That view has helped me time and time and time again to be able to forgive. Do you have faith to believe in the sovereign goodness of the Lord? But you know what? Centuries later, one greater than Joseph would arrive on the scene. This one was another highly favored son who was also sold and betrayed by his brothers. In fact, this one would be forsaken by just about everybody, even though he had done them no wrong and only good. But like Joseph, this amazing man trusted God that ultimate good was going to come from all the abuse he was taking, all, everything he had to endure. When they finally drove spikes into his hands and into his feet, he was heard to cry out, not Kill them, God. May they burn in hell forever. But what? Father, forgive them. Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Jesus the Christ, your Lord and my Lord, was the true and greater Joseph, wasn't he? who endured unimaginable betrayal and abuse and yet forgave not only his executioners on that day, but pardoned all guilty sinners before and since who come to him in faith. And this too, when we dwell on it, when we picture it again in our minds, is what melts our hearts towards those who've hurt us. We have an incredible person to worship and adore. And when we trust that Jesus, our Lord, died for their sins too, not just ours. And in one sense, they too didn't really know what they were doing. Your dad, your mom, your uncle, your brother, your son. When we trust him in this way, in that moment, Jesus' own power to forgive rises up in our hearts and empowers us to do what he did. Thank you, Jesus. Forgive them through me. There is likely someone that God is calling you to forgive today. Is their face on the screen of your mind yet? There probably is someone that God is calling you to forgive. A spouse who betrayed you an ex-spouse, a friend you thought was a friend who abandoned you, who turned on you, family member who hurt you. You've carried this offense around in your heart for long enough. It is time to forgive. It's God's time to forgive. And by faith, you can forgive that uncle who abused you, that ex-spouse who cheated on you, your husband or wife who just hasn't lived up to your expectations of what you thought they should be for you. You can forgive that wayward son or daughter who hasn't turned out the way you thought they should or who has disappointed you or who has hurt you with their words. You can forgive that treacherous co-worker who claimed credit for himself when really you deserved it. You can forgive the sibling that you haven't spoken with for two decades. 
or the mom or dad who failed to parent you perfectly, maybe didn't protect you when they should have. You can forgive them by faith. Now listen, some of us have misconceptions in our heads about what it means to forgive them. Biblical forgiveness, biblical forgiveness is not saying what they did was right or okay, no. Biblical forgiveness is not forgetting it. If you've been taught that, that you have to forget in order to forgive, that's not in the Bible. We don't have that ability. God does, we don't. Forgiving them doesn't mean pretending like it never happened, living in this fantasy world. It doesn't mean the absence of anger over sin. It's not the same as reconciling with them or trusting them again. That's another issue. That's a a next step beyond forgiving. Rather, in, in Scripture, forgiveness is a promise that your heart makes, your redeemed, faith-filled heart makes to them and to God. And it goes like this, I promise to stop being their judge. I promise to stop holding the offense against them. I promise to stop rehearsing that offense over and over and over in my mind, reliving all of that. You may need to go there initially to feel the pain of that woundedness again, but this is a promise that says, I'm not going to do that every day. I promise to cease repaying evil with evil. I promise to not bring it up again to them or to other people. I promise to start praying blessing for them. That's often where it starts. I promise to seek reconciliation with them in those situations where reconciliation is appropriate and doesn't put you in a place of harm. Listen, the time to forgive is now. It's now. And I've been praying for you all this week. And others have been praying for you. For now, for this moment. For some people, the Spirit of God might be especially gracious and just reach right into your chest and yank out bitterness. It might just be gone. Happened last night to four or five people. Just gone. Like, I came in angry and it's gone. It's just dissolved. Where did it go? God extracted it. He uprooted the mulberry tree and cast it into the sea. That may happen. For others, this promise may be a conscious choice to make today and then again tomorrow and then again the next day and the next day. It may be a gradual release, but it starts somewhere. It starts with a conscious, faith-filled choice. Time to forgive is now. On the bottom of the back side of your notes, it, there's three checkboxes there. First one says, God is showing me there is someone he is calling me to forgive. Is that you? I want to write their name in there. I'm asking God to give me enough faith to forgive them today. Increase my faith, Lord. By faith, I am choosing to forgive them today, maybe for the first time, maybe for the 490th time. Will you bow your heads in prayer with me? And For our Whitehall congregation, I'm going to turn it over to our pastor there for a time of response. But here in this room, I want to ask the question, how many of you would raise your hand and say, God is 
talking to me today about forgiving somebody. Could I see your hands? God's talking to me today about forgiving somebody. I see their face in my mind. Many, many, many of you. Thank you. You can put your hands down. I pray you'll do it. Oh, and let me ask this. Raise your hand if God just yanked it out of you, if the bitterness is just gone. You didn't even hardly realize it happened. Anybody like that? Yeah, one, two, anybody else? This is so beautiful when he does this. Yes, I see three. Time to forgive is now. I, if you're one of the many, maybe 75, 80 people who raised their hand a few moments ago, I'm going to ask you, by faith, to release them in this moment, would you? God, I let it go. By your grace, you've forgiven me of so much, how can I not extend grace to them? Perhaps you'll want to come and have a prayer partner pray with you in a few moments, just to add an additional prayer and another channel of grace into your life to, to infuse you with even more power. Just, you might want to come up and just say, hey, I'm choosing to forgive today, would you pray for me? And they will. Lord, I pray for my friends now in this room. Lord, I pray for the freedom in, in our hearts that comes from releasing this, from canceling the you owe me, from saying, you know what, God's forgiven me of so much, how can I not forgive my dad or mom, my, my, my son or daughter, my spouse, this person who hurt me. Be gracious to your people, Lord, even in these moments, I pray. In Jesus' name.